Welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Lumen. On this show, we talk to farmers and ranchers who aren't afraid to think for themselves and do things a little bit differently. We hope these guests will challenge you to look at your farms and ranches in a new way and result in a more profitable and enjoyable business for you and your family. Welcome back to the Herd Quitter Podcast. I'm really excited to get on the podcast today, Blake Hitsfield from Seven Sons. Uh, the name kind of gives away the fact that they were faced with the challenge of having not just one or two sons with the desire to return to the farm, but seven. And they built a unique and diverse and regenerative farm business to provide the opportunity for not only immediate family, but many more employees to enjoy that farming lifestyle. Blake is the chief ranching officer for Seven Sons, and today we're going to get into the details of the operation and management of such a diverse production business. I'm really looking forward to it. So, Blake, welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. Hey, thank you, Jared, for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're really excited to get you on. And and before we get into the details of your farm as it sits today and your management of all the farm, would you mind sharing a history of the operation, maybe some of the details of what your farm looked like even before you started going down this path of regenerative direct market farming? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in, the, uh, in the early 80s, uh, well, my parents didn't grow up on a farm, either one of them. Um, but, uh, my dad had a, a passion for farming. I think when he was in his, uh, like a senior in high school, his dad bought the very first farm that was still in the family now. And that was kind of the introduction to farming and agriculture for my dad. And, uh, he really had a passion for it and wanted to go that route. Um, so he, his background was really construction, excavating is kind of the, the family, uh, business on that side. But with his passion in agriculture and farming, <clears throat> he chose to go that route and uh, ended up buying a, a conventional farrow to finish hog operation. It had 20 acres, uh, was the home farm, and about 1,500 acres uh, total with some rented row crop land. Farmed very conventionally. Um, it worked out well. Mom and dad got married in 82, I believe. And, you know, things went well up until the early 90s. Um, that's when a lot of consolidation started to happen. And 1,500 acres really wasn't that, uh, you know, it, made it, it was still challenging to make a living on 1,500 acres. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, we were losing ground. Um, so we have, uh, you know, we're just outside of Fort Wayne, just a stone, stone throw away, which is now a good thing <laughs> for what yeah. we're doing. Um, but at that time, it seemed very challenging because we could raise uh, commercial buildings and houses, residential houses, better than we could raise row crops. So losing uh, losing land. And then my mom had a, a very um, severe health crisis. And uh, um, there wasn't a lot that conventional medicine at that time could do to help. Um, it was a very fast case, uh, moving case of rheumatoid arthritis. And um, so it kind of, you know... It, kind of got us thinking about, you know, what, what are some alternatives um, for this sort for treating our mom and, and we kind of went down the, the health food journey and uh, finally got to the point where we no longer believed in the type of, uh, you know, food system we were participating in. Um, and not only that, uh, we were going broke. Our backs were against the wall. <laughs> we had to change something because it wasn't working. I got introduced to uh, Owl Nation, Stockton Grass Farmer, Joel Salton, and uh, started, you know, obviously you've heard the story. A lot of people read that and they get inspired. We were one of those farms um, that was inspired to do something different. In 2000, we formed the, the Seven Sons Meat Company brand and just kind of started, you know, 
selling to friends and neighbors and all the hard sales first, <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the neighbors and friends are, uh, aren't honest enough to tell you that your product really isn't that good, but they continue to support you those cars <laughs> here. Um, yeah. But, uh, so that was kind of our journey. And then, you know, the, the market just kind of developed. We have to say we didn't, we didn't go into it to build a business. We really went into it just to have healthy food. We were selling our finished animals, uh, beef animals at our local stockyard just because mm. uh, there wasn't a demand for grass-fed beef. And we figured we would just raise grass-fed beef on our farm for ourselves and then just sell it on the conventional market because that's what all we knew was conventional market. We're, our, our hogs, we sold to IBP and Tyson mm. uh, before we sold out in 96, right before the market crashed, mm. um, which was, I believe, was a god yeah, thing. Yeah, good the timing market. there. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so that's all we knew, but just, you know, the <clears throat> awareness started uh, happening with consumers and they started caring about where the foods come from. And Blaine was very proactive on, on making sure we had a good presence, online presence. And um, you know, we got on that early. Well, that way, customers who were looking for it could find us and then, you know, have a, an on-farm store. And we didn't uh, pick up locations and stuff that, that really helped build our, our business that way. So... Sure. That's kind of the history of, of kind of how we started. It was a lot of a lot of grueling years, uh, a lot of years of, of uh, going broke conventionally, and then a lot of years going broke faster regeneratively. Yeah. <laughs> for the, because you know, that, that growth curve is, is steep. You think you you're in it at the bottom, and and you really you just don't know much, and you just mm -hmm. continue to go down until you you know figure out all the wrong ways to do everything. Maybe sure. you think you start doing some right things. So. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. I appreciate that. And maybe would you mind talking a little more in detail on that, like where the actual transition decided, okay, we need to do something differently. Did you kind of go whole hog, just like we're selling everything that, I don't know, stop and spraying, stop and row crops, going pasture based, or was it a transition? Talk about that a little more. Um, you know, it, it really was pretty much a, a I would say in a, in a year period time frame. Uh, pretty much a, a line drawn in the sand where my parents were just like, this This is not the way that we believe we should be farming. And, you know, it all starts with the belief and then your actions follow. Um, and my parents <clears throat> really believed um, that we needed to do something different on our farm. From a financial side, um, if you're looking at it from a numbers standpoint, a slower transition would have been better um, because, you know, we, we still had some row crop land that we could have continued to farm. And it would have helped out with the cash flow, but because they wanted to make a difference in the type of food they're raising, they just we pretty much was a hard hardcore line in the sand and made that transition. It forced us to get some off farm jobs. Uh, my dad worked off the farm full time, and then Blaine and myself we worked part time to full time off the farm as well during those transition years, uh, late in high school, and then after we graduated. Um, those were some, we call them our really lean years. Uh, we remember the bill collectors calling not, you know, Hey, don't answer the phone. You just don't answer the home phone. <laughs> sure. Um, those are, you know, those are challenging years, but you, you learn from those. You remember them, you, you value, um, you value them when you look back and, uh, you know, put a lot of sweat equity in building, um, building the business, which anybody that, you know, starts a business, they talk about the, the sweat equity that goes into the hard work, the, the sacrifice, the long hours, the, you know, not being with your family when you wanted to be with your family, mm -hmm. um, missing out on some things that you you uh, wish you you could have um, done. But um, yeah, so it, it was a very uh, fast transition. And, uh, to say the least. and were you and your brother on board with that change at the early stages, or did you kind of think this maybe wasn't yeah. the direction we wanted? No, to we were absolutely on board because we you know we had seen the the uh, uh, just kind of the the overall health benefits for our mom when she started eating mm -hmm. differently. Mm -hmm 
And it's like, you know, that's a light bulb moment. You learn from things like that because, you know, you see that and you're like, okay, no, I do believe, I believe we can do something different. We can not only, you know, can you help our family and, uh, and stuff, but, you know, potentially other people as well. So it was, it, you know, you got to kind of get past the, the, everybody thinks you're weird phase. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. but you know, being from a family of, of seven, everybody thinks <laughs> you're we weird already. So it's yeah. just kind of of the course, I guess. <laughs> well, I know how that goes. I grew up in a town where everybody was conventional corn and beans, John Deere case tractors and Ford and Chevy pickup trucks. And we were grass fed beef, organic crops, Toyota pickup trucks and McCormick tractors. So I got, <laughs> I, I grew up being weird. So it's, it, it, I guess it maybe helps in making weird changes and transitions, but. Yeah, we had the Volkswagens. <laughs> we were the Volkswagen, crazy Volkswagen family. So oh, I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, so when you, you started to make that shift, what, what did you do first? What were the first enterprises you dove into and, and changes on your landscape that you were making right at the start? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So well, some of the some of the things we did at the very beginning was we started converting all of our uh, row crop land into perennial pastures or um, hay land and making hay. Uh, that was something, you know, we feel like we could make just kind of a step towards um, getting into a more of a perennial based system. Um, so <clears throat> we ended up planting about uh, close to 500 acres between hay and pasture. Um, and that was one of the first things we did. Obviously, you know, you, you get all jazzed up on this because you, you read about all the benefits of diversity ecologically. And, and, and then you, you look at the enterprises that you can have. And, you know, we were, you know, we, we had turkeys, we had, we had meat chickens, we had laying hens, we had cattle, we had hogs, um, just anything that and goats and sheep, just, you know, anything we could add diversity with, we did and just kind of got into all of it and realized that, yeah, that, you know, you can run yourself ragged trying to be good at all of those. And, you know, if, if you give a, take an honest look at yourself, um, you really probably can't be good at all of them. And then you're going to try to market it all. And then you're going to try to distribute it all. And you're going to figure out how to get it all processed profitably, uh, packaged correctly, um, been merchandised. And all that goes into effect when, when you take on this regenerative farming, farm to fork type farming. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, we, we kind of uh, look at it like it's when you're in that deep and doing that many different things, it's really just death by diversity. Uh, we were just over diversified early on. So we, we ended up scaling back quite a bit strategically just so that uh, you know, we could get down something to where we can manage uh, on our farm. And right now we, we tried to stick to where we only have, uh, you know, only one person is only managing two, two, you know, really, it could be separate, but uh, mainly same industry um, things. So, you know, you get, you, when you're managing, you know, more than two things, it's really hard to to wrap your head around it and be focused and you know and make the make the changes that you want to see on your farm. So we try to limit every manager just you know overseeing two operations. Um, so sure. Um, and so early on, you didn't have all the help that you could diversify. What was the the labor base? I guess when you were starting this. So um, the labor base was just just all, all family, um, you know, and Blaine and I were working off the farm when we first made the transition as well. So, you know, working long hours and then uh, coming home and then, you know, working full time on the farm. Yeah. <laughs> full time <laughs> off the farm. Sure. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, it was really just just mom and dad and uh, our, my, my six brothers. So there, there's a age gap between. Uh, Blaine and Bryce. Um, I think there's five or six years um, gap between them. Uh, so my younger brothers, you know, they remember it going through the transition, but they, 
you know, from uh, being out there helping, you know, they were they were fairly young uh, mm-hmm. when that was happening. So um, it was pretty much all family. Luckily uh, and thankfully, our team has grown from that, and um, we've been able to uh, to bring on more people. And we love we love being able to hire people. I mean, having people here is one of the most you know, positive things that we can do mm-hmm. um, in society is hire people, get them back on the land, see how their food's being raised. Uh, yeah, that's inspiring to us. So conventional agriculture is really, uh, they, they just focus on how many, how many acres can one person farm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we just want to flip that on its head. Uh, you know, how, how many, how many people can be supported by one acre? As kind of the mindset we want to look at, because that you know human you know human creativity that creativity comes from having people on the farm. So mm-hmm. uh, you know when you're looking at having people you know overseeing the lane hen operation, yeah, lane hens on our farm are very you know labor intensive, but and they require more more people. But you have more people looking at the animals, seeing things, identifying things, throwing out ideas. Um, mm-hmm. That's a benefit, yeah. and you know the more people we have on the land. And the more people that are in agriculture, I think the more that farms are going to retain um, more of that food dollar. I um, mean, mm-hmm. you look at statistics, you know, the more that the more that people leave agriculture, the profits leaving as well. So I think there's a, a, a correlation there. I have no scientific evidence to prove that. But I mean, it kind yeah. of speaks for itself. Yeah. Well, I really I really do agree with you on that standpoint of just like getting people I, I know the mindset of agriculture is just maximum efficiency like you just said you know more acres per person and i it does seem like it's a missed opportunity to engage more people in a lifestyle that's enjoyable and 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 you've developed a system that has allowed you to i would imagine be fairly compensated for the work that they're doing as well and i don't know if that's yeah. something you would mind sharing about and if it's something you're not comfortable with i, I totally understand that too but yeah, no, absolutely. We, you know, we, we look, like I say, we look forward to hiring people. We want to be competitive and, uh, and we feel like we are very competitive and nothing brings us uh, more joy than to, uh, to give, to give people raises and to incentivize and to um, do some profit sharing. Uh, we, we really like the, um, just the, the ownership aspect of uh, people coming in and, you know, they, they may not be an ownership, they take ownership of their position and they get rewarded for it as well. Um, you know, it's a competitive marketplace and we, we want to hire the best of the best. And in order to do that, you have to be competitive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's our jobs as business owners to focus on um, you know, how do we, from uh, a moral value, we want to do what we want to do for the land for the right reasons. But then how do we then uh, balance that with with, uh, you know, making, a, making the business profitable. Um, so we spend, you know, time, you know, focus on, you know, how do we make the business profitable so we can hire the best people? Because as you, as you grow a business, you're really just growing people and then your people are growing your business for you. So you spend a lot of time just in the people um, department, um, having those conversations and inspiring people and being inspired as well um, and spurring each other on, um, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Competitive wages, wages absolutely is a must. And as a business owner, it's our responsibility to create a business model that can pay one yourself uh, what you're worth. Uh, so many people will take that sacrifice and they're like, you know, I'm not going to pay myself. And uh, I, I struggle with that. Yeah. Can't pay yourself. And that, no, let's, I, let's put a new plan together. Yeah. I like to ask people, you know, they say, well, 
you know, my hang, for example, is free or whatever, because I'm doing it myself. And I say, well, you don't value your time. And well, it's my time. So, so you wouldn't mind coming and bailing for me then? He's like, well, I don't have time for that. No, I don't have time for that. It's like, well, you're, 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 you're your own boss and, and you got to set your own schedule and pay yourself fairly. So that's a good point. Yeah. Your time is worth something. And just for perspective, I mean, there's, there's, there's several people on our team who are very, very critical people in critical positions that make over a hundred thousand mm. a year. Um, well, yeah. well over a hundred thousand, just because they, they add the value they're worth it. We couldn't imagine our business yeah. without yeah. it. And we it's not painful at all mm-hmm. um, to, to be able to do that. That's just incredible. And giving like, I don't know, I see it as just hope and, and, kind of an inspiring like there's potential in this industry. I think a lot of people think of agriculture and maybe even the type of agriculture that we're in is low labor, low skill type mm-hmm. work and that it would maybe be, you know, sure you might enjoy what you do, but don't expect to make more than $30,000 or something like that. So right. it's neat to hear right. you say that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nope. There's a lot of opportunity yeah. right now. Yeah. So let's get kind of back into that production of the system. You started off with 1,500 acres, conventional row crops, primarily operated by your dad. Then you started making this transition into more of a regenerative, high labor intense kind of pasture-based management, realized pretty quickly that you couldn't do it all and scaled back. Um, What what was the transition back to scaling forward as far as the production side? And and I'm going to talk later with your brother, Blaine, about more of the market building. I'm sure that had to play a big role in, in that transition. It did, it did. you know, and the, <clears throat> the marketing really kind of is the, the, the engine that is, you know, leading our farm. Um, you know, one we're listening to what our customers are wanting as well. Um, so yeah, Blaine, Blaine will shed a lot of light on how that kind of, uh, you know, uh, spearheaded the direction of our farm, but kind of on the production side, um, the way we've kind of looked at our business and how we were going to scale back is, um, we wanted to look at, you know, what, what was good for our land, uh, what fits our land base. Uh, we're in, you know, northeast Indiana. We also wanted to look at, you know, our, our kind of our people resources. What, what do people enjoy? Uh, who wants to do what? And then uh, what makes um, financial sense to do? Um, so you kind of look at it in those, those three um, areas, which is kind of the holistic context of, 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 of life and farming. And we kind of just decided that, you know, our land was suited best for, for finishing. So we sold our cow herd and we are buying those calves back, but we just don't own them. They went uh, out of state, some stayed more local, um, you know, and, and we just bringing these calves in, just focusing on that very short window of finishing that 750 pounds, 850 pounds, all the way to finish. And we can do that within the growing season. So you know, 200, 250 days of, of, of green growing and a little bit of stockpile, we can get those animals finished and then lower our finishing cost by not having to make as much hay because that's, mm-hmm. that eats your profit so fast is, is, the, is feeding the stored forages. Absolutely. So kind of, you know, looking at all of our enterprises and just kind of inter, you know, slicing them up a little bit, you know, not, not saying, you know, let's, let's get rid of just the, you know, the, the cows, um, you know, yeah, we got rid of the cow herd, but we kind of just sliced it up and said, we're not, you know, we're not going to get rid of the whole thing. We're just going to get rid of just the, the cows and maybe the background in a little bit and then just focus on the finishing. Same with the, 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 uh, the, the hog operation. We sold our sows and uh, we had, you know, the great thing about this community, uh, Virginia community, is people want to work together mm-hmm. and people are looking for ways to, hey, how do we collaborate? Um, so we had a, 
you know, just over the years, we had a, a group of farms that said, hey, you know, if there's any way that we can work together, let's let's do that. And, you know, the cows was one way. They selling our, our breeding stock for the hogs. That was another way. So we sold our sows. I buy all the feeder pigs back now. Um, and they come back to our farm about 70 pounds. And, um, you know, they're healthier than what I was raising them because they are just focused on the fairly part of it. They're not worried about after that. They're not coming home and doing chores for fat hogs as well. So very intentional enterprise slicing um, is what we did. And same with the laying hens. Um, you know, we're not going to raise baby chicks. Uh, we're going to get started pullets. There's so many, so many things can go wrong from, uh, you know, the baby chick stage all the way up till you know, that 17, 18 week uh, age where they start laying. It's just so many variables there. And it has to be done right because, you know, at, at you know, day two, three or four of a chick's life, if they're under stress, they're going to show that in their laying uh, production. And when you're not by a hatchery in the first two days they're in shipping, you're automatically setting yourself up for failure. So just some very intentional enterprise slicing is what we did. And we just kind of looked again, what do we want to do uh, from a people source? What makes financial decision? And from, from an ecological standpoint, what makes sense for our land? Those are kind of that. That's kind of the, the lens we looked through when we decided to make those decisions because we were just, we, we were, we really were, our farm was dying because we were so diversified and it sounds crazy, but, but it's it just from, you can only manage, you can only manage so much um, and you have to start cutting back and, we want diversity and we will still encourage diversity, obviously, on our farm, but it has to come with the passionate person first. And when sure. we have the people resource to add to the enterprise to go with it, um, it, it's a home run. It's just a matter of do we have the right person for that job or for that enterprise? Well, that's a good point. I've always thought too, I, I've heard people talk about diversification and, and said that you can diversify yourself right out of business by burning yourself out real quick. And so yeah. that's a great yeah. observation. Well, burnout, burnout is so real. It's so true. <laughs> yeah. So then moving forward, you, you made those strategic cutbacks and you focused on a certain small amount of enterprises. What were those enterprises and how did, did you scale them and add back in some as you found the right people? Or were, did you just focus in on a couple of those? And, and what did that look like on the ground? Yeah, so we really focused on on three main uh, production enterprises. Uh, one was the grass-fed beef, which was kind of the anchor um the anchor product that we sell to our customers. So, you know, listening to your customer, they already want grass-fed beef. It fit. We just needed to figure out what puzzle fit, and it was the finishing on our farm. So we focused on that. Uh, we've scaled that. Our farm is, you know, it was conventionally 1,500 acres. It's down to about 550 acres now. We've been able to scale the cattle across all those acres, so we can finish about 200 head on our farm. Um, on the on the hog side, um, just finishing hogs, we've been able to scale that. Uh, to where we're finishing about 500 uh, hogs a year on our farm. And that's about right for the amount of uh, woods we have and just some lowland and some brush. If we get too many more hogs than that, um, you know, I think it would be kind of a more of a, a negative effect. Hogs are very, hogs are wonderful. I love hogs, <laughs> but they are very destructive by nature. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're a tool in the toolbox to, um, to help you manage your landscape. Um, and if, uh, if, if you have a vision and you have to have a vision for what your farm needs to look like ecologically, then um, the pigs can fit a good place on the farm. But if you don't have a, a vision for it, the pigs will just moonscape it. Sure. <laughs> so just having a good vision. So we're at about 500. That'll probably start decreasing over the years a little bit. And then the lane hens, we're, we still haven't uh, capped those out on our farm. We have about 14,000 lane hens. I think we can continue to grow that. 
um, closer to probably 20,000 laying hens. And then we will uh, pretty much have the 550 acres kind of um, what we call fully utilized by those three production models. Um, we've been able to uh, diversify a little bit into the bison. My grandpa has always wanted bison on the farm, and he had a, a herd of about 30 mama cows, and wow. uh, that's his retirement. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> he to help him out with his retirement on. So yeah. they're, they're wonderful animals, and, and uh, you know, uh, when we do farm tours, everybody likes to see the bison. Um, yeah. so that's, that's usually a big hit. But we really just focused on those three uh, main enterprises and scaling them and getting them profitable. Because before we sliced the enterprise slicing, they, they were really not profitable. There was pieces of them that were profitable, but as a whole, they were not profitable. Something else we did is we also divided up into different uh, businesses. So like the finishing uh, for the cattle is its own business. The lane hens, it's its own business with, with separate ownership. So I don't own any of the lane hens uh, on our farm. I have a younger brother that, that really owns those and focuses on them. And he is very intentional with that business and uh, is, is, is doing well. It's very profitable as well. Um, so, but just, you know, having the ownership, having that intentionality and then uh, working to scale it. Um, obviously working on the marketing side was a huge factor in being able to scale these because you got, you have to have a market for 14,000 eggs a day. Um, you know, there's not a lot of shelf life on eggs. So mm -hmm. they've got to, got to get to the retail stores so okay so talk about the actually specific how how you're producing these animals how are you moving livestock you know across the land what infrastructure and patterns and strategies or uh, management tools are you using to manage livestock on pasture yeah absolutely so everything is under the premise of, of, of adaptive grazing so we look at everything every enterprise every species that it's not going to be the same every time we get back to that area. So we, you know, nature operates in um, disruptive patterns. So we're going to operate in a disruptive pattern as well. Every time that you try to systemize things, um, you'll go back to more of a monoculture. And we want, we want diversity, which is challenging because as your team grows, you want to create systems, right? Because mm, it's easier sure. to delegate when you have a system and just say, okay, every day we move here and this is how much they get every single day. And you just follow this pattern. Well, you can't do that or else you just will be, um, you'll go back to monoculture and you'll just have, you know, well, you'll be back on the same uh, degradation path that we've been on for the last, you know, 50, 60 years. Um, so there's a lot of teaching involved. So, you know, the cattle very, you know, from a, from a management side and um, tools and infrastructure, very similar to, you know, any pasture based rotation system you're going to go and see on any farm. So utilizing the poly wire, not a lot of interior fencing, permanent interior fencing. We have some main lanes. Other than that, you know, we are custom designing and building uh, every day's move is, is, is different. Um, it's never the same, um, you know. From a from an environment standpoint, we're, we're some days we're wetter, some days we're drier. Um, so the cattle are you know obviously moved um, every day to every two days depending on where they're at. We've got water line, uh, water water location and water access is one of the uh, it's one of my pet peeves I guess because where water is or um, you know the lack of water will dictate how you are able to manage your farm. So if you want to graze a certain way, I never want uh, the lack of poly wire, step in post and access to water to dictate how, um, how I want to graze the land. Um, I realize that's different in different parts of the country, but for us, we have the ability to put water pretty much wherever we need it on the farm. So I just don't want that to be a, um, a limiting, um, limiting factor. 
you know, the pigs, you know, they, they are constantly um, doing what a pig does and they're, they're rooting around and being very aggressive. So that the adaptability with those when it comes to managing them is constantly changing based upon a two tenths of rain or two weeks without rain or two inches of rain overnight. Mm-hmm. You will be managing the pigs every day. It seems like a little bit differently. So the pigs, you know, spend most of their time in our wooded areas, um, um, kind of the, the low brushy areas. Um, some, some pastures that they'll get into will be pastures that we're really looking to add diversification from a species standpoint. So like right now I have a group of, of pigs out in a very dominant fescue uh, field. Um, just not a lot of diversify, uh, diversified species out there Look, want to add diversification. So instead of you know tilling it up and putting more seeds out there or, or waiting, with the cattle to do more impact there. We're using a combination of the cattle impact and the pigs out there just kind of opening up some spots, rooting it up, and then allowing opportunity for that latent seed bank to be able to express itself and to get more growth out of the more diversification on the pasture. Um, so it's just a constant change. The, the chickens probably are the most systematized animal on the sure. farm. They're very, very finicky. Um, they don't like a lot of change. Okay. Um, or else you'll see the, the egg rate lay rate go way down. Um, I, I, I kind of talk about the, the laying hens like a, like a dairy cow. Uh, when you're, when you're milking cows every day, you see what's in the milk tank at the, at the end of milking, you know, you know, that's kind of your parameter. Okay. Am I doing good? This is the pounds I got every single day. Laying hens are the same way. Uh, you look at how many eggs did I gather? If, it, if it's going down, why it's a you know lack of you know too much heat, not enough shade, not enough light. So many things go into whether or not a hen is fully able to express herself and, and lay the amount of eggs that she's capable of laying. So uh, they get moved every day, the laying hens do, to fresh pasture. But, it's, you know, they, they're in the portable buildings, greenhouse structures. we got a lot of videos. Uh, people want to see what those look like on YouTube. They're in the netting. We like to utilize the netting. It's very, uh, very helpful from aerial predation and then also the ground predation along with uh, the guard dogs on the inside. So... Um, yeah, those, those, those are the the kind of the production models we have and kind of how we move them through the farm. Yeah. How do you, I'm I'm curious on the chickens, how do you manage those through winter? And maybe you're far enough South where winters aren't an issue, but I, in my mind (laughs) anyway, I like to ask questions (laughs) relevant to me. That's the beauty of having a podcast. (laughs) Winters are, uh, are an issue and it's really, it, it is really two different production models almost like there's a there's seasons like we gear up for this for the the growing season and then we gear up for the dormant season Mm -hmm. um so about novemberish time frame is when we're going to pull the portable greenhouses up to our stationary greenhouses that we have located on one farm so that the chickens basically can still have access they rotate around these uh the greenhouse buildings and they'll spend they'll spend their winter winter months there and wood chip bedding greenhouses they have still access to outside but obviously it's winter time it's you know negative temperatures sometimes um sure. challenges sure. in the winter time is you know keeping the water thawed because you know, again it's cold but the chickens still have to have water in order to, uh, to produce eggs so keeping the water thawed keeping everything buildings warm enough and humidity at the right level and things like that so sure and when you have all these different enterprises and it sounds like each has their own unique management or ownership structure, even separate, working on the same land bases. How do you integrate those without stepping on toes or upsetting people? Or you know, how does that work? 
Well, uh, that, that's, a, that's a great question because that's ultimately sometimes where these systems break down is when you start incorporating the, the people aspect and how do you work together um, to achieve the same goal. So uh, we, we have monthly and weekly managers meetings where we bring all the departments together, all the business owners, which most of them are all brothers. Um, we kind of get together. We talk about, you know, these are the directions we're going to, well, this is what we're going to do this week. This is what we're going to do this month. These are some of the goals we have um, from a land environment standpoint we're very much on the same path of what we want the farm to do and what we want it to look like so um you know we're we're on the same page there there may be multiple ways of getting there um, but we just communicate through those we obviously the hens are the most profitable enterprise production enterprise that we have on the farm talk to a lot of ranchers out there we can talk about finishing and cattle all day long and they all want to talk about it but then we start talking about profitability we go through the models of profitability and it turns out uh, every cowboy should have some chickens on their farm <laughs> those are the most problem yeah um so those continue to grow the chickens continue to grow and as they grow the, the beef goes down um, a little bit on this carrying capacity because the chickens do require um the, the land and they actually eat quite a bit of the vegetation and what they don't eat, they stomp down. So they're, they're taking away from the cattle, but as a whole, it's making our business um, more resilient. Um, so, you know, we, we try to keep everybody on the, on the same team uh, with the same vision, you know, keeping the, the monthly meetings with the, with the owners and, and, uh, and our entire executive team. Um, you know, if you're not sharing your vision and why you're doing it, vision leaks, you know, you have to, it's, it's like a five gallon bucket. It's got holes in it all the time. And your vision is just constantly leaking out and you have to keep filling it up with your vision so that people are on, you know, you have cadence in your organization. So, um, so yeah, having, you know, people on the same team, um, you know, just talking through things, um, it, you know, we have, we have a really, really good team here and uh, everybody respects them, uh, each other and uh, we all want each other to succeed. Um, and there's always give and take. It's never going to be fair. And if, as soon as you think it's fair or you're getting the upper hand, you're probably not going to make it. Okay. <laughs> so, sure. you know, it's, a, it's kind of a, a give and take and, and you've got to be willing to, uh, you know, make some sacrifices. But uh, we have a good team. And we just work through it. And, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously being on the, on the <clears throat> being organized and, and knowing what each other's goals are is huge and, and setting the right expectations. Uh, we, we don't we want to set people up for success. So you know, we want to have you know, written out KPIs for them. So they know that what are, the, what are the things that they're looking for, that they know that they can provide value. And what we're looking for is a success. How we know they're doing a good job. Well, these are the things listed out. If you're doing these things and these are your benchmarks and you're hitting them. Um, you're doing a great job. So very clear, uh, clear roles written out. Just all those little things that sometimes we, we always want to like just kind of push aside as farmers. We just kind of want to be outside and moving the cows. And, and I, don't get me wrong. I love to move cows. I love to be out with the production side. But then at the same time, you still have to have the structure in place to set people up for success. Because so many times and we've learned this the hard way. You have great people. And um, the reason maybe it didn't work is because you set them up for failure because you weren't organized enough yourself to be able to delegate. And they don't know what's expected of them. So many times people say, well, I just, I didn't know that's what you wanted. I'm like, oh, well, I guess I should have communicated that a little more clearly or written it out. So just not being, not being afraid to go out and ask questions from other business owners, take some business classes and courses. And we spent thousands and thousands of dollars on business classes and courses. And um, we follow Michael Hyatt really closely. Um, and so the offerings that he has, and um, he has a um, business accelerator program that we've been involved in and it's been super helpful. So, yeah. um, that's that's been beneficial. 
Yeah. And while we're on the topic of people, I just want to like seven sons and they're all involved in the farm. That yeah. that's yeah. that's a unique opportunity and challenge. Was the what as you started to make the transition in the farm, did the were the sons all interested in always farming and this is kind of a necessity to go this route to make it happen or did as this route happen more sons became interested talk about this whole dynamic of seven sons because it's really unique yeah yeah so blaine and i really had a myself for sure had a passion blaine did not have a passion for the farm he didn't think he was going to grow up on the farm um and, and 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 one there wasn't room in the conventional farming. So we really never thought that we'd be able to stay on the farm. Us older, me and Blaine, uh, older two here. Mom and dad, we made that transition said, uh, transition said, this is the only opportunity. If you want to stay on the farm or create an opportunity, you're going to have to do it. Here's the here's the path forward, this regenerative path. Um, so we obviously we went down that. We talked about that already. As we went down that path, it did open up more opportunities. Um, I don't think that all my brothers thought they would grow up on a farm. Uh, or, or be a part of the family farm. But we definitely wanted to give opportunity for them if they did. It was their choice. Um, you never want to you know, tell somebody that this is what you got to do um, or you're just going set, to set yourself up for failure then disappointment. So just making it available and it's got to be attractive. It can't be, it can't be something that uh, you're working for nothing. It can't be something that you work all the time and you never have any time off. Um, that, that's not attractive. And, um, you know, you're not going to be able to attract other people as well to work for your business if you're working, you know, 14, 16 hour days nonstop for $30,000 a year. Um, it just, it doesn't work and it doesn't, uh, it does, it's not attractive. So one, it just has to be attractive and it was attractive for all of us to, to work together on the farm. Um, we, we all get along very well, not saying that we don't disagree, but we do respect each other a lot and when you have that respect for each other and you want each other to succeed um, it goes a long ways and um, you know, we we have our disagreements but we work through those because you know if, if we all are thinking alike it's going to be boring and there's no creativity and you're not going to be able to you know make the right decision for your business when you have tunnel thinking but yeah we, we enjoy working together we really really do enjoy working together we enjoy bringing other people involved, our uh, spouses were, were all married except for one. Um, you know, that has a set of challenges as the family continues to grow. But the structure that we have, where we have some some elbow room, some different ownership, we're not worried about what time people are showing up to work because they own the, their portion of the business. Um, sure. They want, they want to work later in the morning and later at night. You know, yeah. uh, that's fine. Um, so, and, and something else that's really unique is because we're so diversified, you know, you don't have to just like cows. You yeah. don't have to like to drive a tractor. Um, you know, if you like marketing, uh, we have a place for you. If you like web development, software development, we have a place for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, customer service, uh, driving, uh, filling, you know, filling orders. There's mm-hmm. so many different areas that make up our farm mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, I have brothers uh, involved in all those areas that we just talked about there. That's that's a really neat observation. And it sounds like you're very intentional about your relationships with each other and that I got to imagine is important to making it a success. But one thing you had talked about in there too, was that your parents said, this is the only opportunity. And I think you talked about this being in the late nineties, which is very early, you know, I mean that as far as the regenerative agriculture path goes, how did they find that as an option and and actually see the potential in it? Like that's very insightful and forward thinking. Well, I I think, I think one is that just as they're, the fact that we were not profitable, the path that we were on 
was not a path that was going to work for our farm. We didn't see a path to where we were able to continue to grow that conventional farming. Um, and then once we became you know, aware of the health benefits, uh, my parents really didn't, you know, they didn't believe in it and, and really neither did we. Um, even though we were young, we could see the difference. So yeah, you know, as it kind of developed by, by the year 2000, um, you know, they were kind of like, this is, this is kind of where it looks like there's, if there's going to be areas that our farm is going to grow, um, this is where it's going to be. And by um, 2004 and five, mom and dad were already part doing part of the succession planning and turning over parts of the businesses to playing uh, myself and really just kind of said here, this, this here, focus here. And I think there's an opportunity. And, um, you know, we're extremely grateful for the sacrifice that um, our parents made early on to be able to have this opportunity um, to sit here and talk with you and have you know, 10,000 plus customers that buy on, from our farm on a yearly basis. I mean, that's very humbling and we're very, we're very grateful for that. Um, and it's just intriguing to me because we just, my wife and I are doing the same thing. We started much later and I don't want to take it all away from the work that y'all have put into building what you've built. But just the time, timing and getting started before there was no competition and that foresight that your parents had, even to point down this direction, is really neat and yeah. it's really and, impressive. And like I say, I, we feel like it was a you know, divine invention because we just, you know, I think God had a plan for our family yeah. uh, because you couldn't, it was too early. You couldn't hardly say this is, you know, this, let's make a business model out of this. <laughs> it just, it wasn't there yet. It was more yeah. of a belief um, that this was the right way of doing it. And yeah. uh, let, let's, let's go, let's jump all the way in and do it both feet in. So. Yeah. Well, the last topic I want to talk about before we kind of point towards wrapping this up is the landscape change. You've been doing this now for 15, 20, 25 years. What have you yeah. seen on your land base as far as soil health benefits and, and improve, improvement in production or what other benefits have you seen? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when, when we made that transition, most of our soils were pretty degraded. They were very hard. My dad did practice no-till farming uh, early. Uh, he had the very first no-till, uh, second no-till drill in Indiana, the 750 oh, John Deere wow. no-till drill. Oh, wow. So very, uh, very early adaptive uh, adapter on that. Uh, but we didn't have the cover crop. We didn't have the soil biology to go with it yet. So our land turned to absolute cement and couldn't get anything in the ground, had to go back to tillage. Um, so not that no-till is wrong. We did not have the, the, the right management to go with it, not enough understanding in it. But during that time from, you know, our, our soil organic matter was one uh, to three percent, all you know, that nothing over three percent. Most of it fell in that one to one to two range. Um, now, with the, you know, the adaptive grazing, the multi species, being in perennial pastures, we're in that four to six range. Everything has increased. So, obviously, water holding capacity, all the biology that goes with, with, with that. The, the water infiltration, uh, we do water infiltration tests. Um, every year and that is going continued going going up uh, obviously it changes a little bit with, with uh, the amount of moisture you have and things but uh, the benchmarks that we that we have in place uh, we're seeing improvement on that <clears throat> and uh, just just the diversity that we have um, um, plant diversity that we have the soil aggregate that, that we have now you know, we're, we're seeing a benefit our, our we're, we're growing grass like crazy obviously we've had a the last couple of years have been um, very good for, for on moisture content, but um, we have we have lots of grass and um, you know, zero input on the on the fertilizer side and, and synthetic fertilizers, anything like that. Um, and, and and you know that was a that was a steep learning curve as well because we decided you know hey we're not going to do any synthetic fertilizer as well. Well, our soils were they were addicted to it. Mm -hmm. um, they did not know how to produce a crop without having something 
you know, spoon fed to them. Um, so we really crashed um, on a production standpoint early on because you know, there wasn't the life in our soil to be able to create the energy to be able to grow the forage. Um, and now we have that, that system in place and it's working for us. And uh, um, it always amazes people how much grass we have here for no, no inputs. It's just, it's just the, the animals doing the work and the, and the diversity of plants. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. It's, it's pretty exciting to know what potential is out there. Yeah. And from a consumer standpoint, I mean that, you know, the consumers are frustrated with, you know, the, the runoff that we have in our lakes and our streams and you know, the red tide and, and the golf and all those things that they don't, they don't know how to relate that back. They know maybe agriculture is somehow tied to it. But one of the most powerful things that we do is, is we, uh, we have our farm tours that we offer for our customers on Saturdays. And it's a great time for you know, a group of 15 to 20 customers to come out. And the first thing that we do is we do a uh, rain simulator. Mm -hmm. And it just sets the stage for everything else that we do because it all is about building soil health, healthy food, healthy plant, human, healthy humans. So uh, when we can show the difference in runoff, we can show the difference in water infiltration. We do the slate test, so they actually see water, the soil explode, but it has no soil aggregate in it, and it gets suspended in the water. They see that, and it makes sense that that's what they see in the rivers because they know what's in that soil as well. They know that there's synthetic fertilizers, you know, herbicides, pesticides, all those things, um, and it, it's making that, that connection in their mind. And then it sets the stage for everything that they see the rest of the day on the farm, all point back to the reason why we're farming this way. Um, and if every farmer could have a, a water uh, simulator, rain simulator, and just wrap their mind around what's happening and then be able to communicate that, that to uh, people they come in contact with, the customers. Um, it was the best, one of the best $600 I ever spent was, was this rain simulator to be able to show people. And we use it for our uh, training for our, our, our own staff. And um, we have um, a group of farms that help provide, you know, obviously the, the cattle and the hogs. And we do a lot of pasture walks. And we use that as uh, you know, the foundation. This is, what we're, this is what we're using it for. And you're getting the same information that our customers are getting as well. I want to, I know you got to hop off soon. I really want to respect your time, but a uh, couple last questions. Uh, one is what are your goals going forward with the production side of the farm? Is, is any changes or directions with that? Yeah, obviously some goals would be that, that we would we'd like to bring more uh, um, diversity onto the farm. We'd like to add more enterprises. Um, we'd like to add the meat chicken maybe someday to our farm. I think it's an opportunity. Um, I think turkeys would be an opportunity. Um, in any ways that we can kind of close that loop a little bit, um, be more um, self-sufficient uh, are, are some goals that we have on the production side. Um, we obviously want to keep you know a real focus on keeping the current production systems that we have profitable um, and um, you know like kind of a proof of concept that uh, for other farms that these these models can work um, come and visit and come and see so we'd like to continue to um, expand maybe the agritourism and we like, view that kind of on the uh, farm production side as well that's something that's on the goal is uh, on, on the board is how do we how do we expand that um, the agritourism side because the education plays a huge part still um, and, and, and this movement and, and for our farm and other farms, and getting, getting consumers to your farm is, is always a good thing. It's always a good yeah. thing. Yeah. And uh, last question before I give you the opportunity to share your information um, is what resource recommendations would you have for somebody getting into a production model similar to what you've built? Um, <clears throat> that, that's a great question. I, I would, 
I would recommend getting out and visiting successful farms in your area. So wherever you're looking to do your farm and build your farm, um, make changes on your farm, look for farms that are in your region maybe um, that are, are having success. Uh, remember, success leaves clues. Um, you want to be unique, uh, but you don't have to completely reinvent the wheel. I think sometimes we think as farms we have to do it all. We have to reinvent the wheel. Um, you know, just your own story alone is is unique enough. Um, everybody's going to have um, a, a different uh, a different element to bring, a different story to bring. So I would, you know, we get, you know, some of the most encouraged things we could do on our farm is get out and visit other farms um, and see what they're doing. Um, if you're wanting to focus on marketing and figure out what are some ways that we can, you know, add value. Um, capture more of the food value. Go out and see. You know, just do some Google searches. Who who looks like they're just really doing a great job with with marketing? And um, you know, in the regenerative movement, I mean, most people folks are very willing to share and have you to the farm. Don't be afraid to pay for it. We paid a lot of money to learn a lot of things, and mm-hmm. it was well worth it. And um, you know, you get what you put into it. So you know, have your questions prepared ahead of time. You hear people say, well, I paid for that and it wasn't very good. Well, how much effort did you put into staging your questions? What did you, what are some specific answers that you were looking for? Um, you know, try to really uh, be organized when you go and visit and, and have these uh, calls and visits with these farms. Um, that, that would be my encouragement is get out and, and visit and see these farms that are that are doing things that you uh, admire and maybe want to do. And obviously, there's great, great resources, um, good, good books out there. Um, Dirt to Soils, one by Gabe Brown, I think is very inspiring. Getting back into some conferences as well, and there's a lot of online summits. Um, so just you know, stay involved, and, and um, there's lots of opportunities. I wish we had all the opportunities in the late 90s, early 2000s to, to get out. And that's actually one mistake. If I had to do, uh, do it over again, there were opportunities for us to visit other farms um, and for us to do some do some conferences. But, you know, when you're bootstrapping it and you're broke, you feel like you can't spend $400 on a conference mm-hmm. or take off three days to go visit a farm. And in all practicality, we couldn't afford not to, looking back. I wish we would have done more of it. It's just getting out there. Um, you're going to pay for the education no matter what. You're yeah. either going to make, make the mistakes yeah. or you save yourself some time to get out and uh, visit and, and learn from other farms that have uh, maybe uh, maybe – taking those hard lessons on the chin already. That's a great point. If somebody wants to reach out to you or find more information about what you're doing or anything else that you want to plug as far as Seven Sons stuff, where where would you direct them? Yep. yep. Visit our website, sevensons.net. We have a YouTube channel, Seven Sons YouTube channel. Gracecart is the software behind what runs our business. So check that out, gracecart.com. You're welcome to email me direct, blake at sevensons.net. And I'll uh, be happy to answer any questions that anybody would have uh, after, after listening. So thank you very much, uh, Jared, for having me on. I really enjoyed the conversation. So I appreciate it. Really do. Thanks so much, Blake. The Herd Quitter Podcast is brought to you by Farrow Cattle Company, whose mission is to help ranchers put more fun and profit into their business. You can get more information on Farrow Cattle Company at farrowcattle.com. And if you enjoy what you've heard on this podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Herd Quitter Podcast or at herdquitterpodcast.com.